when trumpets were mellow And every gal only had one fellow No need to remember when Cause everything old is new again And at your Long Island Jazz H parties Waiter, bring us some more Bacardi's We'll order now what they ordered then Cause everything old is new again Get out your white suit, your tap shoes and tails Let's go backwards when forward fails Movie stars you thought were long dead Now are framed beside your bed So don't throw the past away You might need it some rainy day Dreams can come true again Cause everything old is new again Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, May 5th, 2019. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His play God Shows Up began performances April 6th at the Actors Temple on 47th Street with an opening night on May 13th. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FoulSpotPhoto.com. Michael also is going to be interviewing Celia Keenan-Bolger on Friday, May 10th at 5.30 at Ripley Greer. Um, Of course, Celia is the recently uh, Tony Award-nominated scout from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. And, um, Michael, we're all excited about this. Uh, do we still have tickets available for people to get in touch with you? Yes, we do. Uh, $5 admission for non-drama disc members, uh, payable at the door. Uh, just email me at michael at broadwaystars.com. And really, it's kind of special. Celia got not only a Tony nomination, but also a Drama Desk Award nomination and an Outer Critics Circle nomination for the same role, which I think she's, I think I was told she's the only one in all three. And if she's not the only one, she's, it's certainly rare, a rare trifecta. So yeah, uh, you know, she's somebody who is really, really being recognized for that beautiful performance. All right. So uh, there's information in the show notes. uh, If you want to go back to the show notes and find the email address and all the other information there and the $5 is going towards beer. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so, uh, get, get Scout a little drunk, have her tell us stories out of, out of school, you know. Scout is underage, so no, can't. Well, it depends on, <laughs> no, on she's what, older. Yeah, no, she's yeah. I mean, older. in this, in this, uh, she, it's a, a reflection older. in time. So maybe you can <laughs> ask her about that. All right. So first up in the news, or first up in our review section, um, Michael, you got a chance to see Tootsie. Peter and I talked about it last week. What is your take on Tootsie? I is it is it possible to love and adore a show that has major? Problems. Yeah, I don't, I don't yes, we call it we we call it half of Sondheim's work. <laughs> 
Yes, well, in a slightly different way, I think that applies to Tootsie. And it's interesting. I uh, uh, I read two – I think I only read two of the reviews, The Times, and I uh, don't remember which the other one was. Um, and they both took the same tack where you're reading it, you're reading this rave review, rave, rave, rave review, and then all of a sudden you get to um, – you know, but I have to tell you – Mm-hmm. And it mentions the major issues with the uh, with the writing and uh, of the of the the plot uh, and uh, the the score and several other things. Uh, so I guess the, I, I guess I feel the same way. It's it's that phenomenon we've discussed before, where when you overall love something, you you one wants to minimize the flaws. And uh, I think adversely, although this is probably not right to do when someone overall really dislikes something they they might uh perhaps downplay the the virtues so um this is uh one of the one of the funniest broadway musicals i've ever seen uh but uh i i'm amazed by the fact that there are certain um plot elements uh, that just don't make any sense. And I am very, very surprised that uh, those involved didn't somehow realize this or that nobody happened to come in and say, hey, by the way, um, it's not possible for someone to become very famous during previews of a Broadway show if they have, if they have never been – if this is a person who's never been heard of before. Um, it would have. How easy would it have been to rewrite that? That the, uh, you know, that the show opens, and this Dorothy, who is actually Michael Dorsey in, in female garb, uh, becomes famous. You know, get, gets raves, gets a Tony Award, um, and uh, be, you know, co- goes on to great fame. Uh, you know, and perhaps even. Uh, uh, lots of TV appearances and becomes really beloved in in the community and maybe even larger. And then, uh, why couldn't it have been that the big reveal uh, that she is in fact a man uh, took place on the on her closing night in the show a year or whatever after it opened? Uh, I you know as it is now the reveal takes place on opening night and it's like you know this show was directed by Scott Ellis. How many shows has he directed? Um, and doesn't he know that, uh, you know, how it works and when, when the press come in and uh, when they focus on people. Um, so I, I don't know, I, I kind of wish, um, someone else had directed this, but that was the big, he was the big red flag for me for this show from the beginning. I, uh, other than that, I, I have to say, I mean, whoever directed the comedy, um, whoever worked with the actors on the comedic business which presumably is him but maybe it was someone else anyway whoever did that that is done brilliantly it's the the timing is is phenomenal the characterizations are great um santino fontana is 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 absolutely brilliant uh andy grotolution if that's how you say it as his roommate um sarah styles and even the you know the 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 really relatively minor roles the amount of stuff they do reg rogers and and uh julie halston is not not a lot in terms of quantity but boy um do they make the most of their time on stage. And Julie Halston can now uh, rank right up there with Angie Schwarer from the prom in having um, 
maybe the second biggest laugh line on Broadway uh, this season. She had, of course, I won't spoil it, but there is uh, something she has in Act Two that just absolutely makes stops the show for like a solid minute while people are screaming in laughter. Um, there, uh, I. Uh, uh, oh, and and to get the other major negative thing out of the way, yeah, it, you know, there seems very little consensus on anything these days. Uh, I feel, you know, w- with the internet, uh, we we are privy to everyone's opinion. And I don't know. Back in the day, maybe it seemed like uh, there was more of a consensus on shows in general, whether they were good or or bad or indifferent. But now it seems like everyone. Um, Almost everyone has a different opinion on everything, uh, except uh, in this case, it's, it seems everyone agrees that David Yazbek's score is serviceable. Uh, it, it's not – there's nothing uh, special about it in terms of m- melodic hooks uh, or whatever, and it, you can't imagine any of these songs – having a life outside of the show. But while the show is happening, uh, they, the songs almost without exception, I think serve the story very well. And they are, uh, there are many very funny lyrics, which has always been a hallmark of Yazbek's work. I think he's always been one of our best writers at writing comic, uh, musical theater numbers. So, um, that's, uh, I guess, it uh, may sound like a lot, a lot of negative stuff, and yet uh, the performances were so great, and the and the actual lines, uh, as written by uh, this this uh, book writer Robert Horn, uh, are beyond hilarious. And very few lines, uh, by the way, I believe, from the movie. So he really deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Even though I wish he knew or someone had told him that you can't become famous in a Broadway show during previews. Um, what else? I, I made some random note, just some random notes here. Um, uh, it, it, you know, there are some plot elements that I think have been an issue from, from the movie. Like for example, how does Dorothy get paid? Uh, do, do, do we think that she had to fake a social security number? Uh-huh. Any idea? Any idea? Uh, well, I was thinking about the whole union side of it as well. She had to enter in a, a fraudulent contract. To... Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the agent knew nothing about it, so certainly there there is a lot of uh, insider baseball loopholes that uh, people would have assumed that this this could have never happened. But we give it up to the willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah, and uh, you know, and as I say, absolutely the same in the movie too. Uh, you know, even before the internet, there were ways to check people's resumes. <laughs> you know, I mean, are we supposed to think that nobody even looks into the, this woman's background? Um, but I think you can get way, away with that more in television and film than you can get away with it. They, you know, television and film, they pull people out of obscurity all the time and put them in major roles. Oh, yeah. You know, other people have made that point. So maybe that was um, – in that respect, it, uh, in that specific respect, it wasn't wise to change it from soap operas to the musical theater world. Although it obviously, you know, I mean, I can see why they did, and I think it was smart overall. But it does create that little problem there. Um, on the subject of resumes, there are some uh, really wonderful, clever meta theatrical uh, aspects to this production. As you leave you receive a copy of Dorothy's photo and resume. 
so uh, I thought that was just great. And I don't know, do you, uh, I assume, <clears throat> did both of you guys get those as well? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I yeah. didn't get it, no. Oh? Uh, no. Um, maybe either you missed, missed the person it, yeah. handing it out sure. or they, or, yeah, yeah. But that's quite funny if you, if you read the... Uh, you know, the, her credits <laughs> on the back. It reminds me of uh, Hedvig did a similar thing with the playbill for their show. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also the uh, cover of the playbill for Tootsie is, is quite clever and meta theatrical. It's you see um, presumably, you know, Santino Fontana as Dorothy holding the playbill for Tootsie. So you see him holding the playbill you have in your hand. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, you know, there really, really is a lot of of smart, smart stuff here. I wish um, someone had uh, helped them out with those plot points. And I, uh, do, do you guys like briefly have any thought as to how that could have happened? That huge nonsensical plot point. Uh, no, I, I never have. Um, I, I've never bought the premise um, ever. Oh. So um, even uh, in the movie in 82. Okay, well, that um, answers that question. <laughs> uh, so uh, ironically enough, one of my drama desk buddies, um, Doug Strassler, says this is his, famous, his favorite movie, and he believes he's seen it 100 times. Um, so I guess I'll ask him the next time I see him uh, how he feels about that. Though I guess we're not going to have a nominating meeting for a while since those things. Are no, but again, I, I, I'm kind of at the moment. I'm talking specifically about the. Uh, I mean, we're supposed to believe that while the show is in previews, somehow this woman becomes very, very famous. Oh, indeed. I, I mean, as I brought up too. I don't know. Did you notice the subway ad where it said Dorothy yeah. Michaels mm-hmm. in in Juliet? That nurse. too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Billing yeah. over the title. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, no, there, there there was a lot of uh a lot of liberties taken with the story there that was uh to accelerate the plot line and, and make it make it move. But I like your idea of having it happen on closing night. Her yes, her closing night. It would have been perfect. And that also solves the problem because as it is now, we're supposed to think that on opening night, uh Michael reveals himself on stage and then the sh- we don't we're not, we're told that the show keeps running, but we don't know what is is he no he we, I guess we're told that he left, and I guess we, we were supposed to think the understudy is doing it. So it's the show still having a successful run, even though the star left and having revealed that he was a a man on opening night. <laughs> Yeah. So if so, if it was his closing or her closing night, his her closing night, Mm -hmm. then that wouldn't be an issue. So that's another reason why they should have done it that way. And I can't believe that nobody thought of that. But regardless, Santino Fontana is absolutely brilliant. Uh, There's a line in Act Two where uh, someone, I think her agent, uh, well, her agent says to uh, Dorothy, "Oh no, I'm sorry." He says to. to Michael, uh, it's when yeah. the agent comes in. Yeah, says uh, you, you, uh, you know, I want you to do this play. You could win a Tony Award. And the audience on the night I went, uh, they really kind of cheered at that because I think a lot of people think that's uh-huh. what's going to happen to Santino. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's Tootsie. Uh, and uh, despite all of uh, those plot holes, it's mm-hmm. it's getting lots of great buzz. It's uh, you know. Uh, people are having a lot of fun at the show. So funny. Yeah, it really funny. And Santino is incredibly talented. And what did you think of his woman's singing voice? And 
Oh yeah, I uh, you know when I I had interviewed him in January for the Drama Desk, uh, right, yeah. uh, and I asked him about it then, and he said I can't really explain how I do it. I mean, I was asking him all these questions like, well, is she a soprano? Is she? Uh, he said I can't. I, it's hard to explain. And when I saw it, I <laughs> and heard it, I knew exactly what he meant. Yeah. And and actually, we went back af- backstage afterwards, talked with him, and I said. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I, now I see what you meant. He said, yeah, I just can't, I, you know, I, I really can't tell you how I do it. <laughs> so uh, changing gears a little bit, you mentioned the Tootsie Playbill cover, and I got a chance to see Hillary and Clinton this week. And uh, uh, both of you talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But the Hillary and Clinton had two different playbills, really? uh, a, a Bill yes. Clinton playbill and a Hillary uh, Clinton playbill. Uh, I got a copy of both of them, but I was wondering, Peter. It, it, I don't want to stomp on a trivia question here, but have, has uh-huh. any other show ever done a two-cover playbill? Yeah, I'm sure some have. Uh, nothing comes to mind at the moment, but um, but I, I know that I've had that experience where I've seen uh, different playbills. But uh, maybe by the end of the broadcast, I'll be able to think of what that was. But I want to um, say there was one fairly recently, but I can't think of it either. Mm. Huh. So I, I I tried to think about it, um, and uh, I grabbed both uh, both copies of it, so we have it for the archives. Uh. <laughs> there was one recently in the last couple of seasons, definitely. Um, this should be a trivia question, and I bet we'll hear from a lot of people if we don't come up with the answer. Um, <laughs> and I hope we do. I'd like to hear what it is. But but yes, there was definitely uh, one in the last few. Michael's right. It was it was rather recently. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Peter, you got down to the Metropolitan Playhouse to see The Poor of New York. Uh, So tell us about The Poor of New York. Is this about people that buy Broadway tickets? (laughs) Ain't it the truth? No, uh, this was a big hit back in 1857. Um, And that's what the Metropolitan Playhouse does so well. Alex Rowe finds these plays from way back when, revives them, revives them splendidly, I should say. And uh, this was by Dion Boussicle, who indeed uh, was a big playwright at the time. And um, for those who know um, a lot about uh, musical theater recordings, this was made into a musical in 65 called the Streets of New York, which turned out to be one of the most rare original cast albums. Capitol recorded it and then said, oh, we're not going to release it. There's no sense in it. And so it was privately pressed. And uh, for years, people were going crazy trying to find it. Those of us who care about these things. Now, of course, it's available on CD, and um, or at least it was for a while. Anyway, The Poor New York. Okay. Very interesting premise. So here we have a gentleman who uh, is fast fading in business. He's a banker, but times are tough and it looks like his bank is going to fail. It looks like it is over. Well, anyway, in comes a guy who says, I'd like to make a deposit of $100,000, which by the way, in 1857, imagine how much money that was. So uh, great. So this is going to save him. You know, suddenly he has $100,000 to play with. So, oh, isn't life wonderful? Okay. Not, <laughs> not two minutes after the guy makes the deposit, he comes back in roaring and snarling. He's been talking to people and people say, what are you, crazy? You put money in his bank. He's failing. Are you out of your mind? Get your money back. So he comes in and he demands his money back. And um, and the the banker hems and haws and all that kind of business. He doesn't want to give it back to him. And the guy gets so apoplectic that he has a heart attack and dies. Well, suddenly the guy has hundred thousand dollars to play with. He doesn't have um, the wrath of the man. Um, so he and uh, his henchmen take the body out on the street and. And nobody notices. And um, people assume he just had a heart attack on the street. And that's that. And his family has no idea where the money went. 
none whatsoever. So they become the poor of New York. Um, meanwhile, our non-hero, our anti-hero, with $100,000 to play with, has his business saved, and he becomes quite a rich man because he's able to invest the money, get more money, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so his weakness is not just uh, being kind of lousy about what really happened, but also he's blindly in love with his daughter, who is a spoiled, horrible human being, and he won't see it. I mean, he knows way down deep that she's terrible, but he won't see it. And he indulges her tremendously. So she gets involved with a, a gentleman uh, she wants to marry who doesn't want to marry her. He wants to marry someone else, but he needs her. To, I, I'll tell you, the complications are really quite wonderful and um, beautifully, beautifully done. So as a result, I really think you should get down to this Metropolitan Malaya. Very small theater. I don't even think it's 60 seats. Um, thrust stage. Um, they've had a turntable, you know, um, Things are getting pretty spiffy down there. So um, I do think it's worth checking out. Um, it's between um, Avenue A and Avenue B on 4th Street. So it ain't easy to get to, unless you live near there, of course. But um, I really love this company for finding these shows. And they don't always find shows from um, 150, 60 years ago. They did Arthur Coppett's Indians uh, not that long ago. That's a 1969 play. And um, I can't wait to see what Alex Rowe is going to do next. I always feel that way. And um, it, whatever it is, I'm sure I'll be down there. All right. So uh, you also took a longer journey to Bristol, Pennsylvania, to see the Christians at Bristol Riverside Theater. So tell us about the Christians. Well, truth to tell, one, frankly, I love the Bristol Riverside Theater, as I've said many, 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 many times. Um, it's my favorite new regional theater. I only discovered it in the last couple of years. Uh, but I've seemed to be very faithful to it, and um, I go there quite a bit. Well, to be fair, though, one of the reasons I went to the Christians um, is because I saw the Christians in 2015, fine. But it wasn't until 2017 that Eric Krebs, the off-Broadway producer, said to me, um, listen, I'd like to have you write a play about God. And um, so I did. And that's the play that you alluded to earlier, God Shows Up, which is at the Actors Temple, only three performances a week. This uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, this starting to sound like a commercial more than a review. Anyway, um, so I was curious to see what Lucas Nath um, did in, um, in the comparison to what I've done, because uh, he, of course, is such an illustrious playwright, and uh, this was uh, something that uh, I was commissioned to do. Um, I, I'm not sure that I would have thought of writing a play about God, but um, but The Christians is far more serious than my play, and um, and quite good. I, it, it's really the famous apples and oranges analogy. Um, but anyway... So I went down there and a terrific production, uh, really quite nice, by uh, Matt Pfeiffer, who um, really knew exactly what to do with this play. So where are we? We're in a mega church. Um, so is my play, by the way. Anyway, we're in a mega church. And indeed, there's Pastor Paul, who's giving a sermon. And his wife is there and his associate pastors are there. And, you know, you really expect something that isn't going to happen. And that is the fact that this pastor is not fire and brimstone. He's very indulgent. And in fact, he's now coming across uh, to his audience saying, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure that people go to hell. I'm not sure there is a hell. In fact, somebody said, what about Hitler? Yeah, I, Hitler could be in heaven. Whoa. Well, you can imagine how this plays with the fundamentalists, you know. So that's what the story's about, really, that people believe 
what they want to believe, and the people who have believed for a long time cannot have their beliefs shaken because he really becomes on everybody's, you should pardon the expression, shit list for doing this, uh, in indelible ink for that matter. Um, and that's what the story is about, that you cannot change a lot of people's minds where it comes to this. And, of course, you have some of the, the, the familiar tropes that uh, these pastors have. I mean, Pastor Paul uh, quotes God, you know, and God said to me, blah, 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 you know, well, yeah, and, and they're always quotes, you know, so... Uh, that's kind of interesting as well. Um, but the fact that he wants to be more liberal and um, the other people want him to be more hard line um, and a fascinating uh, line. If there is no punishment, why should we be good? One of his people, um, one of his acolytes who soon will not be an acolyte, says to him, that's quite a lie. If there's no punishment, why should we be good? Well, what's what's so bad about being good is – a Michael Bennett musical once said. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so um, there's also some criticism of him because he started this new philosophy after the church's mortgage had been paid. And people are saying, how come you never brought this up before? Um, did you feel like you, if, if you said it before, the people wouldn't donate to the church, that they would fly away? Is this something you've had on your mind all the time? And only now are you bringing it up because uh, you can afford to? So um, there's also a compelling uh, debate with his wife, who for the most part of the play, it's 90 minutes long, I'd say for 45 minutes, maybe 50, maybe 60. She doesn't say a word. She just sits there. Um, and you think she's never going to say a word. Oh, yes, she does. Oh, yes, she does indeed. So to watch this man's world change because he's being indulgent and being nice about um, the way we look at religion is is certainly an unexpected uh, philosophy. And um, so the Christians really does pack a very strange wallop because um, it does make us say, whoa, is there any way that can we, we really can feel that um, God is not the terribly um, terrible swift sword guy that we've been led to believe? Um, <clears throat> ironically enough, it's something that uh, I've, I've brought up in my play too. But anyway, I, I'm here to promote the Christians and not God shows up. So anyway, um, congratulations again to the Bristol Riverside Theater. All right, so they are playing that through May 19th. I have a link to the Bristol Riverside Theater's website in the show notes if you want to check that out. Uh, Michael, uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about uh, Fosse Verdon, and you gave us your take on uh, one of the episodes, but you had a chance to chat with uh, John Rubenstein, uh, who is a character in, in the real-life <laughs> Fosse Verdon story. So uh, tell us about that. Well, John is one of our listeners, and uh, he's been on our podcast. And I, I, uh, the the first episode of Fosse Verdon that I saw was the third one. This is the episode I saw screened at the 92nd Street Y with all of the creatives and the stars present, and there was a and A afterwards. And that happened to be the episode where um, uh, we see Bob rehearsing Pippin in a rehearsal studio, and we see the supposed way uh, in which the famous Manson trio, quote unquote, was created. And I did see there was a character in it who's Stephen Schwartz. <laughs> and uh, in the back, uh, with no lines, I believe, you see some guy, uh, you know, with a, in a with a afro or curly hair, Pippin hair, uh, who obviously was John Rubenstein. So I just I just uh, messaged 
John and said, hey, I, I noticed you in the back and Pippin, you know, Bravo, whatever. And he wrote me this amazing response that I'd like to read. Um, it's a little long, but it, I think it's really interesting uh, and worth it. He says, uh, first he said, I haven't watched it yet. I know they stuck a big curly wig on someone and made him mm-hmm. be back then. I've watched the first three episodes. And even though I'm a huge fan of both Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams, I th- and I think they're both doing a fabulous job of being Bobby and Gwen in so many specific and intricate ways, even physically, which is neither of their forts, I alternate between being fascinated and finding it all a bit creepy. And I hated the Cy Fewer character caterwauling on the cabaret set all the time in episode one. He wouldn't have, and if there ever was an altercation, it was surely either private or way underplayed. And I don't go for the way they keep making Bob appear helpless and at a loss while he's choreographing and directing until Gwen shows up and sets him right. She certainly was a huge help and inspiration to him, and she often gave wonderful side notes and encouragement and explanations to his dancers if they were struggling with some moves or motivations. But he had his shit together, and although very open to being guided or enthused by his dancers and actors, he was never standing there as they keep portraying him, truly befuddled and stuck until rescued by Gwen. So that bugs me as they've made it the sort of premise or theme of the Enterprise. That plus I miss the thing about Bob himself that was always present even when he was working in his dark mode and giving in to his own cynicism and worries. And that was his sparkle, the glint of mischief and fun and love of humor and even silliness. He was rarely glum, seldom lost in his cloud of regrets and insecurities. He had them, no doubt about it, but he loved being in the room and playing with his people and had a pervasive and irresistible sense of fun. I do miss that in the rather one-note Black Cloud version of him they've settled on. I'm looking forward to watching the Pippin section with some mild trepidation. So now fast forward. Now he's seen the Pippin's segment. Episode. Um, I have at this point watched the Pippin episode. Lots of stuff wrong there, but... I was one of the committed watchers of Smash when it was on. Lots of friends in it and good people, and it was a fun melodrama and a high-octane soap opera. But I kept cringing and shouting out and being outraged at all the phony baloney they had in it. And it was pure fiction with no responsibility to tell any kind of truth, but things that would never happen in rehearsals, auditions, writers' rooms, performances, dressing rooms, at parties, on breaks, you name it. Watching the Pippin stuff last night, where so many things were wrong and never happened, no girl dancer was ever cut from the Manson trio because she had rejected Bob's advances, Anne Reinking was never put into that number to replace anyone. It was always Pam, Sousa, and Candy Brown, and Candy was never late or behind the beat, as they had Sam keep yelling at her by name. Gwen never came to any Pippin rehearsals. She and Bob weren't together during that time. And if she had, she would never in a million years have sat on the floor next to him while he was in the middle of rehearsing a number with dancers and started nagging him about directing her in Chicago. Just wouldn't and didn't happen. She had too much respect for dancers and him and rehearsals in general. So stuff like that is hard to watch, even though it probably makes a story more dramatic or 
soapy or something and doesn't bother anyone who wasn't there. And it's not a documentary after all, but it is truly an out-of-body experience to watch a well-made, serious film about events that took place when one was in the room. Bizarre, nostalgic, but sort of deeply unpleasant at the same time. One wants them to at least get the facts right. And when they deliberately don't, there's a slight sense of invasion of privacy or something. Hard to describe. I can only imagine what, say, Hillary and Bill Clinton might think about the play that's on Broadway right now about them, or what Alexander Hamilton might have thought about that musical on 46th Street. Well, a couple of observations. Is Robert Hahn the writer of this series? No. Oh. Um, Stephen, uh, one of them is Stephen Levinson, right? Who wrote, um, Dear Evan Hansen. No, that was a joke, uh, because, oh, oh, you mean, oh, I'm sorry. Because we talked about the fact that Robert Hahn did so many things that weren't uh, realistic in terms of uh, what was really going on. Uh, the second observation, uh, uh, if John is disappointed with that, I know that he's very happy that the Los Angeles Dodgers have the best record in the National League because he is one of the most passionate Dodger fans that's out there. So uh, at least that. God give it, then God take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Fosse Verdon continues on FX, uh, and we'll have to see, you know, uh, getting back to our earlier discussion of, of Tootsie, and and why couldn't that have been fixed? Uh, you would think that, you know, with all the Broadway people surrounding the Fosse Verdon uh, show, why, you know, we could all pick up the phone and get in touch with people who were there and get well, it accurate. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've I've said this many times before, I think, in, in relation to both Glee and Smash and some other things. Why do you need to to change reality when reality is so interesting? Uh, it, it just seems like a lot of things that they do are, are you know, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, to like really false uh, melodramatic things. But there but there's so much of that that happens in real life at auditions and and in shows, in rehearsals. And, and so that's why I don't get it. I mean, if, if they needed to do that in order to keep it from being boring, it would be one thing. But I I just don't understand it. <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's move forward into the next uh, thing, which is uh, I want to get this pronunciation for the, the, thing, the yeah. Franca Rame project at the Irondale Center in Brooklyn. Peter, you got a chance to get down there to see this. Tell us about it. I thought it was terrific. Um, what it is, uh, it, it reminded me a great deal of Colored Girls. Uh, the the uh, for color girls, et cetera, et cetera, that play, because we had five women uh, talking about their lives as women. And, you know, this might sound very trite because after all, um, we've heard so many uh, observations of how women are treated, how they're mistreated, how uh, people take advantage, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, and yet there were new perceptions here that really, um, kept my interest uh, at a fever pitch. Now, actually, these are pieces by Franca Rame and Dario Fo, a married couple. Now, we may know Dario Fo's name because he's a playwright of some note. He's even had plays on Broadway. Uh, and uh, so these are various speeches that come from various places, various essays, etc., come to life by five phenomenal actresses. Their names are M, initial, Bazid, Cynthia LaCruz, Nikki Morissette, Laura Lassie Townsend, and Yu Ling Wu. 
tremendous job by all of them. Now, this was a limited engagement, and um, I have to say that I hope it shows up again, because if it does, uh, the famous run, don't walk expression is here. I mean, um, grab a plane, uh, etc. Do whatever you can to see it. I want this show to have another life, because watching these actresses go through what they endure, uh, what women endure on a, a daily basis, is really something to see. I mean, you see a housewife talking about what she what she has to deal with in her everyday life, and there are I, even though you feel you've heard everything that could possibly be said about being a housewife, yeah, keep listening. You'll see that. Uh, what's it like to have a brother-in-law who uh, is lusting for you? Uh, what's it like um, to uh, be denied having an abortion? When uh, you have um, when you when you're talking to other people and urging them to have good sex, um, it's so uh, really tremendous perceptions. And I really have so much respect for everybody involved with this. I, I of course, um, have to say that um, that the direction by Zishan Urglu um, is is pinpoint perfect. And it was so wonderful to be in this very strange space which I think is the same space where I saw um, David Greenspan do Strange Interlude. I think it is. And um, a strange little space. Uh, some of the seats were couches. Uh, it, it looked like um, the, 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 the risers uh, for the seats were not um, permanent. And yet, once again, it proves that magic can um, happen anywhere. And this is a place where it happened, out there um, at a church on 85 Oxford Street. Um, not hard to get to if they ever do it again. Um, a train to Hoyt Shemahan and then one stop of the G train to Fulton, and you'll be there. So uh, please, the powers that be, any producers, et cetera, et cetera, find out about the Franca Rame project and make it happen again, please. So uh, Transport Group Strange Interlude was at the same place. Was it? Yeah, Iredale okay. Theater Complex, yes. I thought exactly. it was, yeah. I recognize the concession stand. That's what made me think that. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, Michael, Max von Essen's got a new CD called uh, Call Me Old Fashioned, the Broadway Standard that Lee Lessig Music, LML Music, LML Music has put out. <laughs> so tell us about Max's new CD. Well, it's just great, and it's a lot of fun for me because I saw this show live at Birdland. Uh, this is not a live recording. It's a studio recording, but it's that exact program. Uh, uh, it's The CD is produced by Max and Billy Stritch, who's the musical director and pianist, uh, executive produced by Lee Lessig. And the musicians are Billy Stritch on piano, uh, Steve Doyle on bass, and Daniel Glass uh, and uh, Mary Dorman Faneuf. And it's, it's just what it sounds like. I, I, I think I've commented before that Max um, has a, a wonderful period feel I've always felt about his, uh, his looks and his voice and his, his onstage manner. I, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily expect or want to see him in a rock musical because uh, he just doesn't have that, that type of demeanor and, and voice. But boy, uh, when he's singing standards and um, uh, great American songbook, there's, there's no one better than him. And this is a really, really great 
CD. Let me give you the song list. Everything Old is New Again slash I'm Old Fashioned uh, is the first song, which kind of sets the whole tone for the whole concept of Mm -hmm. the entire project. Um, I Can't Give You Anything But Love, Fly Me to the Moon. Can't take my eyes off of you. So that's slightly more, slightly more uh, contemporary, but still, <laughs> what sixty years ago? Um, on this, on this night of a thousand stars, that's a, a memento of uh, when Max played, understudied, and actually played the role of Che in the last Broadway revival of Vida. Uh, Show me, she loves me. Uh, Shimmy like they do in Paris, the trolley song slash Gotta Have Me Go With You. That's a Judy Garland tribute, if you haven't noticed. They say it's wonderful from Annie Get Your Gun, almost like being in love. There's an American in Paris medley because, um, of course, that was his Tony-nominated performance in that show. And uh, ending with I'll Build a Stairway to Paradise, also, which was also in that show. So I would, I would really um, – get my hands on this if you can uh you know either physical cd or download it uh it's got a wonderful uh really classy black and white photo of him on the on the cover and it's really well produced and uh, just a beautiful cd while we're talking about cds let me recommend an original cast album from an off-broadway mm-hmm. show no i will grant you i will tell you first and foremost that uh Douglas J. Cohen and I are working on a show together. So uh, you might say, well, you're, you're certainly prejudiced. <laughs> but I truly believe that uh, if I didn't know um, Doug Cohen from Sam Cohen, um, I would still say that this is terrific work. He wrote the music and lyrics. Um, uh, Dan Ellis wrote some lyrics, too, um, and, and the book, to a show called The Evolution of Man, which played at the Cell Theater on 23rd Street earlier this uh, season. And Max Crum, Ali Trim, and Leslie Hyatt uh, did the album and uh, did a terrific job. I will say that um, the two best songs I heard this year, and I don't think there are many musicals that I missed, um, was certainly It's Only a First Date, uh, in which a woman says exactly that. It's only a first date, but you can tell that she really hopes and believes that it's going to lead to something else. Uh, and it's just wonderful to see her in that semi-denial um, a terrific idea for a song and terrifically realized and just as potent uh, is Unromantic Things, which comes late in the show. These two songs alone are worth hearing and are worth the cost of the disc. But um, the, the rest of it is sensational as well. So I really think that if you're um, saying, well, you know, there aren't as many original cast albums as there used to be. And, you know, we have to wait a while before we get the ones that um, just open. Uh, Evolution of Man will certainly be one that will please you. And don't be surprised that after the other ones come out, if you're still playing The Evolution of Man. Mm-hmm. Peter, I'm going to suggest a uh, modification of your description of Mr. Cohn, you know, whether he be Doug Cohn or the other Josh Cohn. <laughs> right. I should have thought of that. <laughs> I'm very disappointed that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and Man is with... Two ends, and I'll have right. a link to that in the show, note, uh, show notes. That's the yellow sound label that has uh, put out the evolution of man. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, before we wrap up for the day and get on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link that way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway. Peter, we didn't talk about the Theater World Awards. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) You know that thing that you do? Yes, it (laughs) is. Okay. So, uh, Peter, 
Um, before we wrap up the show, let's talk about the Theater World Awards. Uh, I, I saw a press release that came across uh, the Newswire. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll be doing them uh, June 3rd, and uh, we don't have quite the theater yet, uh, but we, we do uh, know we'll be okay. somewhere at 7 o'clock. <laughs> but uh, we're very happy um, to see uh, both Broadway and Off-Broadway represented, and especially because Simone Missick was in Paradise Blue, which opened last May, and it was so nice that uh, the seven committee members, I'm one of them, uh, remembered her and uh, still uh, felt that that performance uh, was fresh in their heads to uh, to say, yeah, she's got to get a prize. So we have people from, uh, certainly from hit shows, uh, Benga Akinabe from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, um, who plays Tom Robinson, won, and Tom Glenn Carney and Patty Considine from The Ferryman won. But um, we didn't forget Bonnie Milligan, who was in Head Over Heels, and um, which was not a long-run show. Um, we certainly noticed Michaela Diamond, who plays the youngest Cher in the Cher show. And speaking of young, can they get any younger than Sophia Ann Caruso, huh. who's, who's in Beetlejuice um, and uh, is all of 17 years old? Uh, Jeremy Poe from Quiet Boy and Ain't Too Proud. Um, Colton Ryan from Grow from the North Country. Stephanie Siles, the Lois Lane from Kiss Me Kate. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Fleabag. Uh, uh, that. <laughs> that got a lot of votes. So so it was really, uh, and lest I forget, uh, James Davis, who plays Will Parker in Oklahoma. Uh, so it, it's a nice group. We give six men and six women awards. And then there's a Dorothy Loudon Award, too, that uh, is given by the Dorothy Loudon Foundation. And uh, there's a John Willis Lifetime Achievement Award, because uh, John ran the organization for 33 years. But more than that, really. But um, he was the MC for 33 years uh, until um, he asked me to take over. But... Um, Nathan Lane is getting that award, so uh, so he'll be there too. So um, we'll we'll see what happens and what theater we're going to wind up in. We're usually a circle in the square, but they're having a ceremony on June third, so uh, that's what the um, uh, muck up is at the moment. But I'm sure it'll all work out. Well, actually, I was about to ask. Last year, uh, the the ceremony was there and on the set of Once on This Island, and we were asked to wear uh, festive beachwear. I think is the way it was. Yeah. So I was going to ask if it was going to be at Circle in the Square again, and if we were going to get cornbread and chili. <laughs> oh, Michael! You know, when we talked about Oklahoma, we talked about the uh, cornbread. The the, <laughs> the cornbread. Yes, we talked about whether uh, you know what was being made at the top of the show was actually used to make the cornbread and Mary Testa in an interview said oh absolutely not that's thrown away and she said it's totally disgusting it's it's really it's really gross uh there was well I don't know why I mean she was that seems, oh, gee, that seems like kind of a way she was yeah. pouring box after box of that and jiffy. she was saying it was all you know it was all real and uh I guess they don't guess, use it uh, I've they, seen the show twice, and I haven't availed myself of either of those um, times. To, so I have, I have no opinion on whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. But uh, but it's interesting for me to hear this. Uh, have you guys seen um, uh, Vulture, the, the New York uh, New York Magazine's website, Vulture? They have uh, the faces of the 2019 Tony nominees. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Beautiful photographs they are, and they great are. little yes, stories. Are. I think that's where I got the Mary Testa story. I'll put that in the show notes as well. If you have not seen the Vulture photographs of the Tony nominees, I can't believe they pulled this package together so quickly. Mm. Uh, it's really a, a tremendous uh, feat of journalism there and great photographs and great little stories. 
Uh, what did you guys think about the Tony Award nominations? I guess it was this week, and we haven't we haven't spoken since. Uh, I was surprised Bebo and Chill didn't do better than yeah. it did. Um, uh, I wonder if the nominees felt um, well. Uh, if we're acknowledging. Um, Town so much that it represents our new wave type of musical and uh, and that'll do it uh, because there are similarities in terms of uh, not being a conventional Broadway musical uh, mm. both Be More Chill and Hadestown so I don't know if they felt that that was uh, but I expected Be More Chill to do much better especially uh, Mr. Salazar uh, yes. playing, yeah, exactly, playing Michael yeah. in the bathroom you know there's always people you expect uh, to, to be nominated I wonder if Glenda Jackson would have been nominated had she not won last year, yes. I wonder if you know, that 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 certainly occurred to me. But um, but by and large, you know, um, I've I bet I've served on forty nominating committees in my time, and I just know that <laughs> strange things happened in those rooms. And, um, and what I have found out, by the way, is that the Tony nominating committee does no discussion whatsoever. Right. Right. That's really important for people to know, because a lot of times people say, oh, I don't th I think they didn't want to give it to blah, blah, blah. Huh. You know, uh, and then they think there's a discussion of, well, we, you know, should we or shouldn't we? But it's just votes. Yeah. And, and, and then no if formal they're... discussion. You're right. Indeed. Well, no uh, discussion in the in the meeting. The room. Once you're in the room. Not yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. No words. Yeah. So, uh, and then the sort of the shutout of um, Aaron Sorkin. Mockingbird. Mockingbird, yeah. Uh, yeah. That really surprised me tremendously. Uh, um, certainly listeners and uh, readers who saw my review of To Kill a Mockingbird know where I stand on To Kill a Mockingbird, which I think is an amazing achievement. And, of course, there has been speculation that uh, was this a slap in, uh, to Scott Rudin for being difficult about the... Um, the Christopher Sergil adaptation and what have you. So, uh, so that's that's a theory that's being bandied about there. Well, There's but, a little retribution, retribution there. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, but also not shut out because Celia Keenan Bolger is nominated. Oh no, 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 no not I, shut I, out at all. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, uh, but the play was, and yes. uh, that that was. I don't think anybody saw that coming. I mean, um, they got nine nominations. I mean, yeah, and, not shut out zero, but uh, yeah. out of the big category that we expected. Yeah, we fully expected it, and I'm especially um, the Tonys are not immune to certainly rewarding big hits, and um, certainly To Kill a Mockingbird is a big hit. There hasn't been a, an unsold seat since it opened, and um, it, certainly the advance sale is terrific. So, so really, uh, those are the surprises, and um, what can you do? You know, I think it's it is partly a function, as we've said many times, that there it was a really good year for new new plays. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I mean, I certainly would, you know, I had problems with Mockingbird, but I was surprised to, that uh, <laughs> to see Gary there and not Mockingbird, for example. Also, I, I mean, there were so many things we could say about the Tony Nas. I was, uh, it took me a while to even realize it, but I was really sorry uh, to see nothing for the lifespan of a fact, because I thought that was so well done. Three great performances, really well written, and I, I hate to say it, but I imagine it's just because it's closed. It's lost in the mix because it's such a great season. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have Hades Town with fourteen nominations. Ain't too proud with uh, twelve. 
Tootsie with 11, Ferryman with 9, Mockingbird 9, Beetlejuice with 8, Oklahoma with 8, Gary, uh, Titus Andronica 7, The Prom 7. The Prom still kicking it out there. You know, we as well it should. As at, well it should. Great. Uh, uh, did you see uh, Pete Buttigieg uh, went to the prom? And his partner yes, posted yes, that. Yes, yes uh, indeed. So, and, and said, uh, you know, this show can save lives. Yeah. I mean, so that's really significant. I'm glad he got that. And that's really true. Yeah, you know, this this is an important musical. You don't expect it to be, but it's an important musical. Um, it, when you mentioned um, the, the uh, lifespan of a fact, it's really something that, once again, Daniel Radcliffe cannot get noticed by the know. Tones. Yeah. I, I mean, know. You know, it's amazing he keeps coming back. You know, I mean, that uh, I'm sure there are plenty of people who said, oh, they snubbed me, and well, who needs them? And, and that's all there is to it. But that didn't, um, it, it, we'll see. I mean, maybe this will be the straw that breaks uh, Daniel's back, and I hope it isn't. I hope we do see him again. But uh, but it is something to see that once again um, he is denied a Tony nomination. Uh, so I uh, see um, I see certain actors, producers, uh, uh, directors, and writers strategically. Um, uh, working out their shows to open so that they will get a nomination. It doesn't seem like Lifespan of a Fact did that. They they went right into the dead of the, the darkness. Well, uh, I assume in, in scheduling themselves. So I don't. Th- yeah, I think if they really wanted uh, and a Tony Award nomination or win was important to them, they would have scheduled it differently. But it just didn't work out like that for them. It seems. Well, I, I, I assume that with three, not one, but three stars that the scheduling, you know, they just yeah. had to do oh, everyone was available. Yeah. I totally, totally agree. So uh, a special Tony Award for Marin Maisie, a special yeah. Tony Award for the Broadway Inspirational Voices and Michael McElroy. I'm so excited about that. Uh, he, uh, also the uh, fire department. FDNY Engine nice. 54. That great. Yeah. That great. Love that. We're going to see if they bring out a. Uh, I want to see if they bring out a fire truck on stage at Radio City. <laughs> I, I want to. See, I want to see if King Kong makes it to Radio City stage. I yeah. um. I I think I mentioned this to you guys. I knew uh, a guy who worked there. Uh, I don't think he's still there. He's probably retired by now. But we used to do shows together on Staten Island. Oh. So I wonder if he ever thought he'd win a Tony Award for being a fire. <laughs> 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 he beat you to the Tony Award. How did that happen? <laughs> so, yeah, um, sorry that we uh, didn't formally talk more about the Tony Award nominations. It's at the top of the show, but as we get closer to the Tony Awards, we will have our uh, our guests uh, show when we think what will win, what should win. We'll talk about that in the upcoming weeks or so. So let me go back to the wrapping up the show before we get on to trivia. Um, what do I normally say there before we get on to <laughs> trivia? I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. And there's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to Apple Podcasts. You could listen to us in many ways. iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in. Stitcher. Google Play. Uh, anywhere that you could listen to find a podcast, you're going to be able to find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, can be found on the, broad, uh, the notes on broadwayradio.com. All right, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? 
Well, uh, the question was, some love songs and Broadway musicals are waltzes, some are written in 4-4, some are charm songs, some's a song of fury because the loved one has been done wrong, but one Broadway love song is actually a march and says so right in the lyric. <laughs> what is the song and from what show does it come? Well, this really flummoxed a lot of people. A lot of people said, well, I'm a brass band from Sweet Charity. Could that be it? Um, well, that doesn't use the word march. In it. <laughs> Some people even went so far afield to say um, motherhood from uh, Hello, Dolly. <laughs> um, you know, they say march, march, march and that. Yeah, but it's not a love song. I mean, you know, so no, this was one you either knew or you didn't. And only Brigadoon knew it. And that was the fact then I did this purposely time on the anniversary that 51 years ago on Broadway, New Faces of 68 had a song um, which was <laughs> a love song in a march. Ronnie Graham wrote it. And uh, I'm, I'm going to do a little of it for you um, to give you an example of what I love you. Why don't you love me, too? I'm sure we're in love with you. And, and it's a march. And that's the whole point of it, that it's a funny idea that nobody has ever done a love song in a march. So um Robert Klein introduced this song, and if you get the cast album, um, you will hear him do it. I will never forget being in Aspen, and there he was at the airport, and I said, hey, you know, I got to tell you, I just love that March of Unrequited Love, which is said many times in the song, to which he snippily said, it's not called that, it's called Love in a New Tempo. Yes, it is called Love in a New Tempo, you know, but good Lord, you would think that he would be gracious that somebody would say something nice about something that happened so many years ago that isn't like the song is yesterday by the Beatles or anything like that. Anyway, um, one of these days I'll get over it. So, all right. <laughs> New question. In this famous songwriter's fourth produced Broadway musical, a group of characters were known by a collective name. Take away the S at the end of that name, and you'll have the name the main character gives a child in the same writer's fifth produced Broadway musical. What's the name of the group and its musical, as well as the nickname given the kid and its musical? Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You leave your house one morning and without any warning, you're stopping people, shouting that love is grand. To hold a girl in your arms is 